Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decode Your Burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. And today we are joined by Phil Mershon. Phil is the Director of Experience for Social Media Examiner. He's been designing the social media marketing world experience for over a decade, drawing from over 25 years in creating customized events. Phil loves to create memorable moments and transformational experiences. In addition, Phil is a jazz saxophonist, a pickleball enthusiast, and the author of Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. Phil, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, this is going to be a little bit uh, perhaps different from what we've had so far on the show. So I'm also very excited to have you. Um, As we typically do, please start us off with your experience of burnout. So as I was saying pre-show, I've got several stories I could tell, but there's one that I think will relate to your audience. So it was 2004. I had moved from rural Georgia Georgia to Chicago to help co-plant a church in the suburbs among high-income people, high-pressure people (laughs) in uh, Hinsdale, Illinois. And we were there, and after about eight months of being there and highly caffeinated time, working long hours, working alone, not feeling real connected to the community whatsoever, Mm -hmm. I hit a wall. I actually became suicidal. Um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep going. It, it was only a blimp, a blip. You know, I didn't really become suicidal, but I hit this place where I didn't know how to keep going. Like my body was shutting down. My mind was shutting down. My emotions were shutting down. All, I'm a very creative person. All creativity was lost. I didn't know how to keep moving forward. And the pastor and his wife, the wife is a psychologist. Um, they said, hey, I think you need to go and spend some time with our friend, Mark. He's a, he's a psychologist down in St. Louis. And I think you need to go spend some time with us. And as I sat with him, he said, Phil, you've become a snowball. Like it started out with just a little bit of problem, but through caffeinating yourself, lack of exercise, poor diet, lack of nutrition, lack of community, all these things, and lack of even creativity, you've allowed this thing to become this huge snowball. So I'm going to stop the snowball and we're going to start melting it and we're going to help you get your some of your identity back and reset some of those practices. So I had come to this place of I didn't know if I wanted to keep going 
with the work that I was doing, let alone for that brief second life itself, um, that wasn't ever really an issue. Just uh, that flashed across the screen in that moment. And so it taught me a lot about, you know, how am I taking care of myself in the process of working hard? And I was working too hard, too long, was disconnected. And so those things started to dial back and I learned some new ways to live, learned the value of fish oil. <laughs> fish oil for mental health is really important. I, I've been taking it ever since then. Um, exercise, whenever I stop exercising, that can start to slip back in um, if I'm not sleeping well. So all those things, things that are like basics that you should know better. But when you're in the entrepreneurial spirit or creativity hits, which I get that, like this morning I was up at two o'clock creative juices were flowing. Um, and that happens to me sometimes. So I've got to counterbalance that. So anyway, that's, that's my story and a few of the things that I learned. So, um, it sounds like you were just working too long, too hard, and it took about six or eight months. And that's where you felt like things were starting to shut down. Yeah. Yeah. And it probably had been going longer than that, but that's the, I, that I moved to Chicago in May. And it is kind of funny to realize it only happened in eight months because sometimes this can be brewing for years. But for yeah, sure. for me, it was eight months. But the pressure of the people that I was working with, like the ways they were criticizing my work really, uh. really affected me. Chicago is a very blunt city. I'm from Kansas and I'd been in Georgia. Georgia, they say everything behind your back. They're nice to your face. Kansas were just a little bit more genteel. Chicago, they're blunt. They just say, this is what it is. If I don't like it, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and they're not necessarily going to sugarcoat it, which is great once you get used to it. Because now right. you know exactly what somebody's thinking. But I did not know how to receive that as a creative because like you're critiquing my work. You're critiquing my life. So all that stuff adding up. Mm -hmm. um, created just a, a crucible, you know, and they say yeah. church planting and just like starting a business is one of the hardest things you can do. Cause you really are on your own. And especially when you're like parachuted into a place, um, right. there's no support systems. So, so I want to just for the audience, I want to just emphasize that it's more than just that you were working really long hours. There were other factors that came into play. So what you said was that you didn't have a community and you were actually building this church, I would imagine, to create communities. So it's kind of ironic, right? So you're basically saying like, this is something that I value, that I need, and you didn't have it yet. And while you didn't have it and you're working hard, then you're also dealing with people who are from a different kind of culture than you. And I think this is really important because sometimes people burn out at work because of culture, because of there, there's these cultural differences and the way that things are done in the culture at your workplace is different from how maybe you grew up or how you would do it. And so those cultural clashes are actually something that can really affect us. And we often talk about toxic work cultures. And, you know, to your point, maybe if that's where you grew up, it wouldn't feel so toxic. You would have been used to it. And maybe it would have even been helpful to get that feedback. But because you grew up in a very different environment, coming into contact with that all of a sudden, and it's kind of nonstop, and you have nothing else to kind of bounce it 
up against, right? Because there's no other community that you're part of. That's that really took a toll on you. Yeah. I mean, I was working with a co-pastor. He was the lead pastor, but he was not necessarily giving me that kind of relational support either. He had his own issues that he was dealing with. And to the point of here I am trying to build community that I can be part of. Well, what ends up happening is when you're the leader of that kind of community, it's hard for you to be vulnerable with them the way that they can be vulnerable with each other. So I really didn't have that support there. I did have some lifelines elsewhere, but not the the level at which I needed it. And I certainly wasn't being self-honest with myself with how bad it was getting. So mm-hmm. that's that's I, why I think it kind of hit that tipping point is I wasn't expressing how hard this is to anybody and it just kept stacking on itself. Yeah, which is also a really good reminder that if you are a leader in any capacity, you're in charge of other people who maybe have each other as support and you're there to support them, but leaders also need support. And so you need to really know what your boundaries are what your needs are, because you got to find whatever your community is, other leaders or mentors or somebody, a therapist, a coach, somebody to help you get through those difficult times. If you don't feel like it's appropriate for you to be vulnerable with the people that you are leading. Yeah. And you have to test that. Like I didn't know the person I was co-planting with well enough to understand what his strengths and weaknesses were and that we really didn't support each other super well. And I didn't know that going in though. I thought we had a strong enough relationship that it could work, but you put yourself in, whether it's starting a business or starting a church or whatever it is, that is a really hard place to be. It's, it's a lot of pressure. And so you need to make sure that is a good, strong partnership and there's really open communication. But in that case, it was only one way and that didn't really help me. Yeah. Well, from uh, starting this church, you ended up moving into the event space and you wrote about creating unforgettable events. And so I want to ask you to first define what is an unforgettable event and how can the principles of creating unforgettable experiences be applied to the workplace to enhance employee engagement and satisfaction? So the way I like to define unforgettable is it's memorable it's meaningful and it's momentous. Let me break mm. those down. So you're a psychologist, so you know probably know of Effing Haas's rule of retention. He created the forgetting curve, did this back in the 1900, late 1800s. And that rule is this, that we tend to forget something that we've learned without positive reinforcement. 90% of what we've learned we'll have forgotten within 30 days. So um, so that's when I when I talk about doing something that's memorable, we're trying to counter that. We need to help people remember things that are important. And you can do it in a couple of different ways. One of those ways is you do something that is unexpected. It's a surprise. So that's going to get someone's attention. They're likely to talk about it. And when you start talking about it, it reinforces it. Or you're doing something that is unusual by combining two things that are normal or ordinary, but you combine them in an extraordinary way. And I love talking about the Savannah bananas. If you're a baseball fan, which even if you're all over the world, you can go on Instagram and TikTok because they're everywhere. And they've taken the American game of baseball and turned it on its head and had a lot of fun. So just like one example is they have a pitcher who is a literally a cowboy from Oklahoma 
and he will go out there in his his overalls and he'll pitch. He can really pitch, but then he'll take his lasso and he'll go try to catch a base runner who's going from first to second base. And it's like very unforgettable. Well, those are examples in the workplace. How do we do something that's memorable? Um, or let me, let me define the other two terms and then we'll come back to that. So first of all, you want to make it memorable. The, th the third way you make it memorable is by the use of more senses than one. The more senses yeah. that you use, the more memorable it becomes. The olfactory sense being the most important one. And put a hook pin in that one because that's important for the workplace. Secondly, how do you make it meaningful? We want to make it personally meaningful, impactful, significant to people. So in that sense, I'm trying to understand what is someone's journey? Where are they coming from? Where are they going? What's been happening as they arrive at an event? You're walking into an event. What are you dealing with before you get there? Why did you come? Where are you at within the event? Where, where are you hoping to be on the backside? Because I can then support you and create meaningful experiences along that journey. And that leads me to the third point of momentous, which is what I call stacking of moments. Um, I'm trying to create a bunch of good moments that the, the summation of all those moments is going to be greater than any negative experience that you have, because it's likely that we're going to do something that you know, you might not like or might not be great. Um, you know, if you've been to Disney or any theme park in the mm -hmm. world, there are experiences there that aren't great. No one loves standing in line. No one loves, you know, having to pay too much money for a Coke and a hot dog. But if you have great experiences while you're there, a great ride, a great fireworks show, whatever it might be, those things added together become what people remember about the event. So how does that all relate back to the workplace? And I'd love your thoughts too on what, you, what you've heard me say. Well, there's another principle in the book I talk about, and that's really just going to be attention to detail. Um, I'll just say it like that. But when you're putting events together, the difference between great events and ordinary events and bad events is just like the difference between a great restaurant or a bad restaurant. And it's going to be service and attention to detail. It really is as simple as that. So in the workplace, what are the details that you can pay attention to that are going to make your employees feel more comfortable? How do you make them feel more at home? And you might need to ask them, or you might be able to just look at the avatar of the avatar, meaning who is that customer, your picture of who that customer or who your employee is. Are they, you know, is it a 40 year old woman? Is it a 25 year old guy who's a programmer who's staying up late? Well, what kinds of things are going to make them feel restful, peaceful at home, productive um, while they're there? How can you intentionally design that environment? It should probably be beautiful. It should probably feel different. It should be a place that they actually maybe look forward to going. And that's where things like um, aromas can actually be important. I was um, waiting you for you to come back to that. <laughs> yeah, you have to you have to be sensitive here. So allergies are an issue. So never use chemicals and right. never use chemically based because that's going to always trigger people with any kind of sensitivities and make sure you understand if there's any particular scent that's going to be bothersome. Like I've got a daughter. If I ever used anything with bananas in it, she will immediately get sick to her stomach because for some reason she's not allergic to bananas, but she she gets sick to her stomach whenever she smells it. Um, so we just have to avoid that. So know, know the people, but there are certain fragrances that 
are kind of universal, like oranges and lemons can be very refreshing. Um, just understand like what you're, what kind of vibe you're trying to create lighting. So lighting is super important. So at an event, I will, I will instruct our AV team to look at the lighting at different times of day and change the colors mm-hmm. and change the amount of light that's being used. Because as you know, circadian rhythms, like we have different kinds of energy at different kinds of times of the day. The same is true in our work day. You know, there's a reason why in yeah. certain parts of the world, they take naps in the afternoon. It's hot. Yes. But also your body needs to reset. Well, you can, you can create some of that sense through a change of lighting music music um we tend to just turn something on if we have on anything at all um but certain kinds of music can actually enhance productivity and other kinds of music can distract so i find that music with words in it can be distracting because you've probably seen this happen if you recognize a song that comes on the radio all of a sudden you want to listen to that song if it's one of your favorite songs and it might right. disrupt conversation you're in or it might take you out of a state of flow that you're in. So there's people like Focus at Will who've created music that's actually designed for the brain to help you enter into a state of flow. And so but thinking about that for an office environment, well, you've got to know not everybody's going to find the same kind. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with that site, but they have different kinds of music for different brain types and it's, mm-hmm. it's designed for individuals. It's not really designed for, for groups, but you and I probably have different music that we would listen to. And I have different music that I listen to depending on the time of day or the type of project that I'm working on. So those are just a few examples. I'll let you ask questions or build on anything that I've said. Well, first of all, I just love the very specific ideas that you have and how it really is not just something that can be applied to events, but to the workplace. And it's going to make a huge difference in the worker's experience there. Or if you're attending an event, you're going to have a much uh, richer, more memorable experience of that event and maybe want to come back year after year. And what I, when you're talking about all this, it really kind of, underscores something that I created along with a stand-up comic. Uh, we, I really wanted to take the topic of burnout, which we know is not very sexy, and yeah. but, but necessary, right? Because a lot of people at work are experiencing it. And this is what I do when I go and speak. I talk about these hard topics like stress and burnout. So I, I, I approached this uh, stand-up comic and I said, I want to make a very memorable experience. Can you help me take this and like turn it on its head? Right. And we actually created a game show and we're doing all the things that you said, minus the olfactory piece, (laughs) but you know, we, we have a game show. So people are engaged. They uh, there's, there's just like all these components to make them laugh. Um, just to completely turn any kind of experience that you would have on uh, in a conference to something that is enjoyable, fun, memorable. That's exactly kind of what we were going for. So I'm so glad that you're coming from your expertise and saying this is what actually works. Yeah. And I was talking to someone yesterday, a potential client, and you don't have to flip the script on everything that you do. 
but you need to be selective in saying, okay, where is it that we can introduce something that's going to be memorable that people aren't expecting? Or can we do it in a way that's going to be a bit more profound or stand out? And you're paying attention to the emotions of the people and the time, like a workplace, you know, you're going there 40 hours a week. That's different than you're coming to an event for two or three for days. Sure. Right. For sure. So you're, you're doing different things, but at work, there's no reason why you as a boss or even as a fellow employee couldn't say, you know what, I'm going to surprise everyone. And, you know, this Wednesday is going to be, you know, national pizza day or whatever. And we're going to order out pizza. And no one knows that you're doing it till the day before you're like, you're creating something, you know, you make up a fictitious holiday, maybe even. And so you're like creating celebrations and you're creating things that people look forward to. I wonder what's going to happen. And it doesn't have to be every week, but you've got, you're creating a little bit of that suspense. It's like, okay, I want to show up because I don't want to miss out on the next time the boss decides to throw a special party or celebrate someone or whatever the case might be. And I love, I love what you said about you, what you did with comedy. Cause I think comedy is a great way to like lower the bar of, of emotional stress when you're talking about something that's hard and helps everybody feel a little bit more relatable and too often i feel like in professional environments we're not willing to show our emotions like we're not willing to show tears we're not willing to show go too far with laughter we think well that's not productive well actually i bet you after you do that you can be way more productive than if you hadn't done it right exactly and i think that it just allows people to relax into the topic, even though it, it could be hard. And rather than talking at people, we're actually asking them, what do you think the answer is? And we'll have like a multiple choice. And so oh, nice. th- it's a it's an opportunity to kind of gauge um, what does the audience know? What don't they know? And where can we fill in the gap? And that becomes the teaching moment as opposed to I don't really know what you know or don't know. And I'm just going to talk to you about it as if nobody knows anything. Right. Uh, and it also makes it competitive. People people are competitive and they want to see like is their team doing better than the other person's team? So I actually took this concept of my decode your burnout piece where we've got the three different types of thinker, the feeler and the doer. And most people don't know about these types. So I come in and I'm basically saying like, if you're a thinker, you know, what are some of the things that maybe are getting you into trouble and I'll have different options and see if they're getting the right answer. And then I can say, well, actually, thinkers are people who are stuck in their heads. They've got all this negativity, self-criticism. They're perfectionists. They've got the imposter syndrome. So if you put A, you're on the right track, you know, that sort of thing. And it just makes it a lot more fun and engaging. Um, so I love I love everything that you said. And I, I mean, I think we could talk about this for hours because I've got so many other questions for you. But I also know that you've prepared three myths that you were going to debunk for us. So uh, I would love to also give you an opportunity to do that. So please tell us what's like the first big myth that you see that you come across and, and why is it a wrong approach to thinking about it? So myth number one is I can't be creating when I'm facing burnout. And, and there is a truth to that in that you feel like you can't be creating, right? So let's acknowledge that you feel like you can't, but the truth is the burnout doesn't need to hold you back. The burnout may doesn't 
you know, it depends what the burnout is coming from, but we're always, if you're creative, there's always the ability to find a way to create. And often it doesn't take very long to unlock that. I'll give you an example. Um, so last week I was feeling a little bit of this. It wasn't a true burnout, but I was definitely feeling def deflated and maybe a little bit depressed. And I've, I figured out what some of the source of it was and some of it wasn't, I wasn't working out the same way that I had been because of an injury. So I said, you know what, I'm going to just make a commitment to go work out 30 minutes a day. And I'm going to do that for 30 days by day three, I was already feeling some of those creative energies coming back and I was already starting to be able to do it. So I wouldn't have been able to be very creative the first or second day, but by the third day, it didn't take a lot to get unstuck. And I think that would be one of my messages um, to burnout is it doesn't take a lot to stop that snowball that I talked about in my own story um, to start to reverse it. Now, some people may be much more entrenched, but I was surprised personally by how quickly it came. I, I thought it would take 30 days, to be honest with you. I didn't mm. expect by third the third day to already starting to be benefiting, to be able to get better sleep, to be able to think more clearly. Um, so that would be my first myth that I would debunk. I think you can be creating or you might be able to get to a place of creativity a lot faster than you think. And you may just need to take a slightly different path. Um, might be something you know about yourself, like I knew exercise is important, or you might need someone, you know, like Dr. Grossman here to tell you <laughs> some ideas based on what your burnout style is that you might need to be doing that can get you to a place of um, creativity again. Well, what I love so much about that is you talked about the snowball and in a sense, burnout is kind of like a snowball because we become stressed and then that stress is a chronic stress. So we keep, it keeps showing up, showing up, showing up. And then we start to fall apart one piece at a time. Like, you know, maybe you're emotionally taxed and then physically like your body's falling apart and you're not sleeping. And then you're on all this caffeine trying to like stay focused and do all the things. And so one by one, like everything is like snowballing into this really big monstrous thing called burnout but when you when you're in that state it's kind of like depression where it's counterintuitive you know you feel like i can't i just don't have the energy i don't have the motivation i don't want to do anything i can't do anything so you don't and you know the biggest myth when it comes to depression is that you, you just go with it. Like if you're, if you feel tired, you feel unmotivated, you should just like stay in bed and kind of nurse that. And the truth of the matter is the only thing that gets you out of the depression is getting out there and doing the things, even when you don't feel like doing them, because that gives you back your energy and helps you have more mental clarity and the motivation comes back. So I love the, the example that you gave and how quickly talk about the unexpected, See how quickly you get back on track and get that snowball to reverse. And then I got to imagine by day 30, you were already like a tiger. Well, I'm not, I'm, I had to restart the clock. So we'll be clear for the record because I did something really stupid in the middle of it. Um, but we won't, we won't go there, but I, but I know by day 30, this time around, I'll be in great shape. So <laughs> I don't think it's important to your audience to know the stupid thing that I did. Um, well, I, I misunderstood some instructions. Okay. I misapplied some instructions that I was given. I got one detail reversed. 
Hmm. And that one, it's really an important principle. You, you can be doing everything right, but if you reverse one important detail in what you're doing, it could dramatically change the results that you're getting. And in this case, that detail resulted in me making my problem worse and not better. Wow. And so like I, I had to go get an MRI because I thought I was getting worse. It turns out I was just doing this one thing exactly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, thankfully I, that got caught very quickly and didn't cause any long-term damage. So, okay, well, we'll stay tuned and see the next go around what you come up yeah. with, with the 30 days, but <laughs> I mean, just to know that it only took three days to get back on track is amazing. It's like a really positive message. So that's really cool. And yes, you can be creating if you're burned out as long as you're doing something to reverse the snowball. That's kind of the message. What's the second myth? People facing burnout don't enjoy events. That's myth number two. And here's what's kind of interesting is, um, when I look out at an audience at an event, when you're speaking at an event, you don't know who's sitting out there, who's on the verge of burnout, who's ready to just give up, who's trying to make a change in their life. Um, but everyone is at some stage of satisfaction or dissatisfaction when you look out at an event. But it's probably true that someone who is in the verge of burnout isn't really enjoying life at all and probably are critical of everything that's going along around on around them. Um, but they're still human and they decided to show up. So, that, you know, a person who's truly in burnout probably would have never walked through the door of that event. So I've got to believe that there's a way that I can engage that person that might look different. Like, you know, I used to be a pastor of worship. So I knew that there were people out there every Sunday who had their arms crossed and they weren't participating for anything, no matter what I would make them do. Um, they were just going to stand there or sit there and they weren't going to sing. They weren't going to talk and they would have a scowl on their face. And that person might have been in burnout. I don't know. Um, the same things that true at an event, there's people there who are skeptical, who are reserved. They're holding back. They don't want all the hoopla. They don't like the loud music. They don't like your game show. They're not going to participate in that. That might be a person in burnout. That might be someone else, but they need to be invited in and warmed up. And if you, do, if you get to know someone, this is my belief. If you get to know someone, you can find a connection that draws them out. A great counselor can do that. They can find a connection in someone's story and draw them out. Um, I have to laugh. I remember sitting with a counselor one time and we literally were quiet for a full hour. Um, he never said a word. I never said a word until it was time to leave. Um, that's probably not a good practice but I don't know what he was thinking, but in general, a good counselor is going to be able to draw you out, even if you're in the darkest part of burnout and help you find some glimmer of life, something that is interesting to you, something that's appealing, bring you out of that skepticism. You have to make a choice if you're in burnout that you're going to find something and that's, that's on you. But as an event organizer, I can create opportunities for people who are at all different states of emotion. 
all different states of readiness. And I need to understand, hey, there's some people coming in here. Let's, you know, let's say we were doing a, uh, an event for a specific industry or a specific business. And we know they just went through a hostile takeover, let's just say for an example, and everyone is on edge. Like, am I going to have my job? Or it's been, you know, a bunch of uh, tax accountants. It's right after April 15th and they're burned mm-hmm. out, you know, not in the sense you're talking about, but they're just worn out. If you're doing an event for people like that, well, you got to give space and acknowledge, hey, we're all just kind of worn out right now, right? You may need to acknowledge that. There may be the whole group. It may be just individual people. But I believe you can create opportunities for even that person to find some signs of life, to find some hope, to find some enjoyment. It may not be the same as everybody else. But if I'm doing a good job, then I'm going to be able to find a way for that person to get value out of coming and to be glad that they showed up. So it's really two things. It's uh, if I'm burned out, I myself have to put on this hat of of open mindedness of like, I'm going to explore, I'm going to look for the thing that's going to help me. And then also the place where I'm going, if it's an event, um, it's about how are they cultivating this event so that it engages people. And like, I love what you said about warming the audience up and that's a great way to really tap into wherever they're at before you launch into whatever it is that you're going to do. And that way, even people who are burned out, as you said, can end up enjoying that event. And what's your final myth? Well, and the third one that I wrote down kind of answers what you just said. I, I probably could have done a better job on this third one, but I said people facing burnout find everything boring, especially at events. And I think that's related to the second one. So if I had more time, I'd come up with a better third one. Okay. But I think the answer is very similar to what we just yeah. said. You know, if there's looking at all of it is boring, there's nothing good going on here. Um, well, that's not probably true. Um, you've got and to figure out and it though, doesn't have to be just boring. It could be like just being negative, pessimistic, cynical, which is one of the real signs of burnout, right? That everything yes. just seems like doom and gloom. And whether it's events or anything else, you might be in that state simply because you're in burnout. And what you're saying is that's a myth. Um, I don't think you have to see it that way, but I I want to redefine the word boring for a second. And I don't know if this is going to relate to burnout or not, but the way I talk about boring is forgettable. People are going to forget about it. So of course we don't want it to be boring. That's putting you to sleep. That's actually bordering on terrible, right? You know, if it's so bad that it's putting me to sleep or makes me want to leave, that's that's unforgettably bad. Mm. Uh, what I'm talking about is the events that people are willing to tolerate and stay for, but really wish they weren't there. Um, yeah. I don't. Those are the kinds of events that I don't want to exist anymore. I'd rather you create something really bad because at least people will know, oh, I don't belong here. <laughs> um, if it's the middle, it's like the frog being boiled. You know, it's just you're slowly putting them. Now you're putting them to sleep, but they don't know they're being put to sleep and you're not adding any value. And I, so I think someone in burnout could have the predisposition coming into an event. Well, there's not, not going to be anything for me here. I'm going to show up because they sent me. I'm going to show up because I know I probably should be here. Um, I I don't want to be at home. So I'm at least going to get outside of the house, but I'm just going to put in the time and, you know, I don't really have any expectations. Um, Which here's the great news about that person who says, I have no expectations is it doesn't take much for me to exceed 
those expectations. Yes. So, <laughs> um, so but I've got to do something that's going to surprise them. And I yeah. think that's true for everyone walking in the room is we need to do something that's going to catch them off guard. Your game show is a great example. People probably don't expect a game show from a doctor who's going to talk about burnout. So it's awesome. You know, you've totally flipped the script. No one's expecting that. I often will pull out my saxophone in a talk and I'll create a jazz moment in the middle of the talk. We could even do that right now if you want to, um, (laughs) because people aren't expecting it. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, what's going on here? That's interesting. Never seen that done before. And now all of a sudden they're leaning a little bit more forward than they were. You've pulled them out of their, their drowsiness, their sleepiness, their stupor, their, their criticalness and saying, oh, okay, that's interesting. I wonder what else he has to say or what else is going to happen. Well, Phil, I feel like uh, I could talk to you for hours. I've got so many questions, um, but it's been just totally enlightening. And I love how you've brought in this idea of events and the idea of making things memorable. And I know you had two other M words, but um, but ultimately it's that you're you're being really thoughtful before you come out and put something in front of another person. And I think that's true, whether it's an event or in the workplace, that we have to be really thoughtful about if we're hiring people, what is the environment that we're creating for them? What is the experience that they're going to have? What are they coming into that experience with that we need to address and maybe warm them up? And if they are on that snowball of burnout, how do we help them to really reverse that or if you're noticing that for yourself how do you reverse this snowball so i love all the different examples that you gave super super helpful and i am really uh, hopeful that people who are listening to this will take some of your tips and run with them but in the meantime phil for people who are interested in learning more about what you do Uh, I know we're going to have a link to your book in the show notes. Is there anything else that they should know? Well, head over to my website. You'll find out things. Hopefully by the time this comes out, I'll have it up. But I've got an article I've written on building community. You'll find links to me on LinkedIn and Facebook, which are the best places to follow me. I am active on Instagram and Twitter as well, just not as active um, and love to connect with you all there. And uh, yeah. Those are probably the best things. And I'm I'm creating a, a course this fall that might be interesting to some. So if you're interested in that, reach out to me and we can discuss it. Well, stay tuned. And in the meantime, if you're uh, putting on an event and you want somebody to help you create something completely memorable, reach out to Phil as well. I'm sure you'll do a fantastic job for them. Absolutely. Now, for all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you are a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all of you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? Regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. If you are ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Bye everybody.